what a great morning so far. Hopefully you've been blessed already just by the music, taking some time to celebrate faithfulness of so many people. I think about how many people are represented here that really have made it be a place that you can make that statement without paying her, I love my church. You're like, that's, that's a big deal. That says a lot about this community and the folks that have invested in it for many years. I consider it a huge privilege to even be a part of that team of investment, but really our hope this morning is more than just highlighting people and individuals. We recognize that the reason we come this morning is primarily to put the spotlight on Jesus Christ. He's the reason we gather. He's the reason that we sing. He's the reason we serve. He's the reason that we have hope for the afterlife. He is the reason this church still exists 50 years later, and we praise and elevate him, him here this morning. Amen? Well, I'm uh, excited to spend some time uh, with you guys in God's Word, and I thought it was interesting when Jeff Gordon was sharing, he says, over the years, one of the things that stuck the most important has been a commitment to the truth and Bible teaching. I kind of came to a crossroads with this morning, and I was like, you know what? I, I could come up with a catchy acronym, ABF, and what those stand for. And I was like, you know what? That's, that's not really me, and it's not really our church we're a church, it's our middle name, the Bible, Agora Bible Fellowship. So we're going to stick this morning to, to studying God's Word because we think it's pretty awesome that Almighty God cared enough about us as His creation that He wrote us a love letter, and there's so much to gleam from this book. This morning, we're going to be spending time in this series that we started a couple weeks back. We're working through the book of Ephesians. I'd love if you guys could start turning uh, there now. It's so much easier to follow, follow along if we're in the same text. And I've titled this message, A Grateful Church. You might think of this section of, uh, of Ephesians, and you're like, that's not really about a grateful church. And you're like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's not. But here's the idea is that what Paul presents about our identity in Jesus Christ, the outcome of that, the result, the response, if you will, of the truth presented in this text should lead to a grateful church because he's been so good to us and so faithful over the years. Let me pray before we dive into this text. God, we thank you so much for this morning and acknowledge just collectively that you are the star of the show. You're the one we celebrate. We're the, you're the one we put the spotlight on because you've been so good to us, so faithful, so consistent. You're the reason we gather. You're the reason we celebrate. You're the reason for all of this. We praise you this morning. We ask that you teach us through this word that we wouldn't show up this morning believing we have all this figured out, but you'd stretch us and grow us and expand even our understanding of you through the study of your word. We invite you now to be present and moving and working. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So we started in Ephesians 1 uh, last, in the last couple of weeks. John did a little bit of laying a foundation for it. Then I spent some time uh, in the first part of chapter 1. And if you remember last week, we spent a lot of time talking about all the benefits. I titled a benefits package of those who have embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We talked about a ton of them. We talked about the fact that we receive every spiritual blessing. We're chosen before the foundation of the world. We're adopted as sons, big deal, redeemed and forgiven and restored into a right relationship with God. And this morning, it's really continuing as if that list wasn't expansive enough. 
he keeps on going with even more truths about those of us who are in Jesus Christ. Take a look with me in verse 11. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I'm going to explain that a little bit. We'll talk through this first observation and really all of these pointing back to why we want to be a grateful church. This first one, we thank God there is a plan. Last week with all of those lists of spiritual blessings, one of the ones that, that is added to that, although all of them could be described as under this category, it described as, you see it in the text there, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of uh, an inheritance, but usually you associate inheritance as something pretty good, right? Like that's a, that's, that's a good thing. And in fact, something that has the potential of radically changing your life if it's a large inheritance. I was reading a story or actually heard the story this week of uh, two brothers uh, that lived in Germany. One's name is Zolt. And the other's name is Giza, with the last na name of Pilate. You can see a picture of them here. Two brothers that at a young age, their mom, a single mom, had actually thrown them out of the house. Not a good situation. And they were left to try to fend and figure out things for themselves. They moved from Germany to Hungary, which is kind of a good name if you're struggling to find food. Uh, but, but moved to Hungary. And they're just trying to collect things from the street, sell them, literally living off of soup kitchens and li literally uh, sleeping in a cave at night, even into their early 40s. Well, in December of 2009, they were at a, at a soup pantry when some local officials came trying to identify some names and asked them, hey, are, are, you, are you Zolt? Are you, are you Giza? And I guess those aren't common names, so not too many Zolts around. Uh, but go up to them and they're like, yeah, we are. And he said, well, you might not know this, but according to, to German law, that the inheritance is supposed to pa always pass down to next of kin. They're thinking through like, well, you know, my, our, our mother was struggling. Well, they come to find out that their mother had passed away, but their grandmother had a pretty significant estate that she had developed over the years. They told these two brothers living in a cave that they were now inheriting $6.6 billion. $6.6 billion dollars. Talk about things changing pretty drastically for these two brothers. In fact, one of them was uh, recorded as saying, like, hey, now I might meet a wife. I'm like, yeah, you'll probably meet a few. And, uh, <laughs> and thinking about this, how drastically things change when you hear about an inheritance. These two brothers, well, some, I read another article about it, and one of, somebody that was trying to figure out who, because they didn't list in the, in the newspaper an initial article who the woman was. Some person had done a little bit of digging, and the only person that qualifies with that kind of wealth was the founder and, and creator of L'Oreal makeup products. And so uh, that's, uh, that's the, the idea. But either way, these two brothers had a pretty big change based on inheritance. And I was thinking about that. When we read these simple little words, in him we have obtained an inheritance, you just kind of plow past that as if it's no big deal, but I'm guessing if the creator of the universe, the one who speaks things into existence, tells you you have an inheritance, that's good news. 
That, that, that's really good news for those on the receiving end. And this wasn't just a, a last second thought. He pulled us, much like these two brothers, out of our cave, not based on anything we've deserved, and said, you know what? I'm going to elevate you, and I'm going to give you this inheritance. What does it say there? Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Here's the thing for us to understand. Is this, none of this happens on accident. When you look, in fact, take a second, glance around at all these great looking people in this room. Look around. Nobody here is here. Nobody's listening to me. Look at people. Look at them. Look at them all. They're all, they're all really good. I got a great view from up here. But here, none of, nobody that's here is literally here on accident. It's literally because God predestined it and planned it from the beginning. Now it's easy if you're like me, you can turn on the, the news and look at what's happening in the world around us and kind of feel like, man, it sure seems like things are kind of out of control and nobody's at the helm of this crazy world that we live in. But here scripture tells us exactly the opposite, that there is a God who's reigning over all of this, who's in complete control and not just a God that started and created things and then step away, stepped away and said, good luck with that. Instead, what does it say? Works all things according to the counsel of his will. In fact, underline that in your Bible if you're okay with that. The idea of all things, there's no thing happening around you, nothing happening around you, no thing, uh, nothing happening around you that isn't because he's ordained it, planned it, set it in motion, and keeps it happening. That is awesome to cling to whenever we start getting into this anxious moment of who's, who's driving the ship, who's in control. And so some things that are true because of that is three different things. You can jot those down in your notes if maybe they're already listed there. It's three different things. He never takes risks. He makes zero mistakes, and he never wrongs us because he's reigning over all. This is awesome to think about. The first one, he never takes risks. This is, this is something hard for our, our minds to, to comprehend because we're so used to things being set in motion. You're like, well, I hope that works out. Think about kind of your own week and the things that you tackle. You're like, well, maybe it will, maybe it won't. God, God doesn't do that. If he starts something, he knows the beginning of the story, the middle of the story, and the end of the story. You see, God doesn't send things out and says, I hope this works out. God is hope. He is our hope because he's constantly in control. I wonder if in this room, if there's any of you that are like me that don't like watching movies more than once. Anybody else? I, there wasn't many in the first hour. Like here, it's, it's my wife gives me a hard time about it. Once I've seen a movie, I don't really like watching it again. Why? Because I know there, there's no excitement in it because you're like, I already know what happens next. They're like, except for Tommy Boy. But other than that, <laughs> there, 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 there's no movie that we're okay watching over and over. Because why? Because you know the beginning, the middle, and the end. That's the same thing, and this is good news with Almighty God. He knows the complete story. He takes no risk. There's no gamble. There's no pieces of what's happening that is like, oh, I wonder how that's going to work out. No, absolutely, perfectly in control. He makes zero mistakes. My kids have this little expression. They do this little explosion. They go, mind blown. They say that. Have you guys ever heard a little kid say that? That's a new thing. Uh, and so my kids will say, like, mind blown. And this is one of those statements he makes 
zero mistakes that should be one of those mind-blown moments. Like seriously, if you think about that for a second, the fact that nothing he does ever has an error in it. My uh, Some years back, I was working at a church in Chicago. It was a larger church, and it had a, a number of different prayer rooms around the campus. And one of my jobs, I was overseeing kind of prayer stuff for this campus, and one of the things that I, I did was I was responsible for putting a kind of a, a prayer guide in those different room, rooms so that if somebody came in, they'd have kind of some direction and some verses to look up and different things to kind of guide their time of prayer. Does that make sense? But here was the thing. I knew when I was creating this prayer guide, there'd be like four people that would read it. But I was like, you know what? I'm committed to make sure I do a really good job. So I always did a really thorough thing. Someone regularly, every single month, would go into that prayer room, would find my guide, and would literally think that they needed to mark up putting every single comma, capitalization, punctuation. They would correct and edit my prayer guide every single month. It became like this challenge. I started recruiting other people to help me create this, this prayer guide so that it would be absent of any errors. This person that, that corrected my prayer guide always found something I missed. It's much like the church bulletin now. Don't read it because you'll catch something I missed. Here, here's the, the, the picture which blows our mind is that there's no little intricacy of anything happening around you that God's like, well, I didn't know. I messed up. I, I blew that. I dropped the ball. Absolutely nothing. The security that should come from that is amazing, is amazing to cling to. He, never, he makes zero mistakes and he never wrongs us. This is one that people really have a hard time swallowing. We've heard the verse, we're just like, yeah, I know he works all things for my good. If I love him according to, according to his purposes, you're like, yeah, I've heard that since I was a, a kid, but do, do I actually believe that? This text tells us it's true. There's nothing that he does in, in his actions towards us that doesn't have our best interest in mind if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. This, this is something that we, we constantly struggle with, it, misinterpreting our, uh, our circumstances. There was a quote I showed a number of weeks back. I love this one still by Levi Lusco. The issue isn't whether your life is going well or falling apart. The question is, what makes you so sure you can tell the difference? Things are seldom as they appear. You might assume that, man, you look at our circumstances and you're like, Pastor Scott, I can't look at my circumstances and say that he never does anything to wrong me. But the truth is, when you adjust and tweak your thinking that maybe your happiness isn't his end goal, but your character development is, all of a sudden you're like, huh, Maybe that makes more sense out of my circumstances. We saw that in Job in this last series we just finished, that maybe my end result of my character is the end goal, not me constantly uh, skipping and frolicking as happy kids. Like, that's not how it works. How is God going to work some of the things like long-suffering without us suffering long? You know what I'm saying? Like, th these are all part of God's big picture plan. We could talk on that for hours. Big idea here is be encouraged. God has a perfect plan that includes pulling you out of your cave and dumping a really large inheritance on you. That's the big idea. Next section, this verse 12. Thank God for our hope in Christ. It says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ 
might be to the praise of his glory. The thing that you got to understand is who he's referring to as we who were first. We who are first, he's talking to a Gentile audience. That's who this letter is written to. Gentile is basically anybody that's not Jewish. So probably a good percentage of us in this room would qualify as that. But when he refers to as we who accepted Christ, put our hope in Christ first, he's referring to other Jewish believers. Other Jewish believers. Sometimes I talk to friends and neighbors that are ethnically Jewish, and they'll say to me if I invite them to church or uh, something spiritual, whatever, they're just like, sorry, I can't go to your church. You know, I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm like, well, that's perfect, because so was Jesus. And also, guess what? So were the first to put their hope in Jesus Christ. So were the very first. So be encouraged when you're interacting. Just because you're of Jewish descent doesn't mean that you can't embrace what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. It's awesome news. That's what they've placed their hope in. And if you think about it, absent of Jesus Christ as your source of hope, I always wonder, where do people find hope absent of Jesus? Like, seriously. Like, if you've placed your hope in just kind of the, the things that this world has to offer, like, then what happens when life doesn't go like you planned, like you wanted it to. All of a sudden, that hope crumbles because this fleeting world, man, so lost. One of the things I hate probably most in my job is when I'm asked, I shouldn't say hate, it's hard. I should say it's just hard. Hard to do funerals of people that didn't know Jesus Christ. Honestly, like that's, that's a hard thing. I remember doing some years back, a good friend of mine's grandmother had passed away, and I knew all the way to her, her last breath, she had dug in her heels and had wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. I'm like, oh, man, it's so hard to offer hope absent of Jesus Christ. Because why? Because he has the potential, because of his work on the cross, to redirect eternities. And that's why here he says, you guys were first to hope in him. For us, we should be so thankful if we're in Christ that we have the hope of Christ because all that that brings in the present and in the life to come. Thank God for our hope in Christ. Next one we'll see in the text here. Thank God for those who told us about our hope in Christ. Verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Again, one of the running themes in this chapter is it keeps on saying, in him. Anything that we have that we're looking forward to or putting our hope to is because it's in him. It's attached to him. In him, you also. So who's the you also? I, I, I leaned towards that or I pointed towards that a second ago. So he's talking about his Jewish first was the first to believe in Jesus Christ. But then you also is referring to his Gentile audience. In other words, saying you also put your belief and hope in this good news. And look what it says there. It says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promise Holy Spirit. That is the gospel message. Do you see how that works? You heard, you believed, you were sealed. That's how this whole process works. First, somebody needs to hear about the gospel. Think about in your own story. Who was it that first explained Jesus Christ to you? 
How many in here would say that was a parent or somebody in your family that, that first explained it to you, shared the, the good news of Jesus Christ? For me, it was my, my mom at a young age was very committed to us, us kids hearing Bible stories night after night before we go to bed at one point, explaining the gospel message. And, and I'm like, I, I'm in. Sign me up. Sounds good to me. Like that whole idea of my sins forgiven because of what you did for me, I'll take it. This idea with a childlike faith, embrace that because why? In order for someone to believe, they have to hear first, right? It can't happen otherwise. This whole thing comes to a, to a screeching halt without the heard peace, without somebody telling you. There's a group of us men from the church that a couple of years back, we went to a conference. It was called Act Like Men, which was fitting. We need to act like men. And uh, one of the, the speakers, his name is Mark Driscoll. I know some people have some different opinions about Mark Driscoll, but one of the things that I appreciated, he was explaining to us that every single one of us determines where we're at in the link of a chain. You're either the starting link that's going to start and share with somebody else, and then they come to faith, and then they share with somebody else. Some of you are like the fifth link. Think through your own life. Some of you are like, okay, there's a link that started three generations back, then to me, then to, uh, I mean, then to my, my parents, then to me, and now to my kids, the link. And it's pretty cool to see in that room, he had some people stand up and say, where are you at the link? Where were you in the link? And he had people stand up and be like, I was in this part of the link, this part of the link. Then he did something that was super convicting. He said, now I want us to be honest with ourselves. Based on the trajectory of your life, stand up if you're going to be the final link in the chain. Based on the way you're currently living, that the next generation, the next people in your circle of influence, they're not going to hear about Jesus Christ because you're a mute Christian. It was convicting, man. You go, it was silent and uncomfortable in the room. And then, then you started seeing a few people, some with tear-filled eyes, standing up and being like, yeah, if I'm honest, unless I change some things in my life, I'm the final link to that chain. It's not going to keep going past me. That breaks my heart to think because this is the model that God put into place that we're to hear. And then the positive response is then believe. Once you've heard every single person, that's what their life comes down to, this crossroads. What will you do once you hear about what Jesus Christ did on the cross? What will you do with that information? So many people, unfortunately, say, no thanks, I'll do my own thing. I'm, I'm on that, that earning uh, kind of strategy, trying to earn my way to God. Yeah, good luck with that. But so many people refuse and reject, but the sometimes, and that's why we continue to exist, sometimes... People hear about what Jesus did for them on the cross and says, I'm in. We have services here, if you've been here for a while, where people have the opportunity after hearing about Jesus Christ, and if, if, they, if they want to embrace that free gift, they stand up and say, I'm in. I'm in. I, I heard news even just this morning that there's a young lady this week that's made the choice in our church and said, you know what? I'm in. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not turning back. I'm chasing I'm chasing Jesus with the rest of my life. That's the process of how it's supposed to work. Heard, believed, and then here the next part is the sealed. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. This has always been the way it works. All the way back in Acts, in case you're wondering if this is a consistent theme, says, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by mouth, you guys catch that? By mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. 
And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. The same process for the Jews as it is for the Gentiles. They hear, they decide what they do with it. Some believe, and that redirects eternities. Here then the last piece, and what the reason we should be jazzed about this, is then it says that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. See, the truth is, is there's no such thing as a believer, someone that's put their faith in Jesus Christ, that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. And you're like, how do you, how do you come to that conclusion? Romans 8, 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. It's part of the package. Once we've embraced Christ, then the Holy Spirit comes and sets up residence inside of us. And some of us are like, that sounds really churchy. What's the Holy Spirit? You've heard the term Trinity before. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all making up the triune God. The God, the Holy Spirit is who actually comes and indwells inside of us. He's the one that sets up camp. He's the one that guides and directs and nudges and and, and tells us you got to stop doing that or you got to start doing that, one or the other. He's the active part of God in the flesh that moves into the, the, the believer. Holy Spirit is there to empower us, equip us for ministry, and then function through the gifts he has given us. He's the one driving the ship in the submitted believer's life. So thank God for the Holy Spirit. It continues in verse 14. It says, who is the guarantee? This is talking about the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Guarantee of an inheritance. I don't know if any of you have made a, a bigger uh, purchase of some sort in your life. Usually you have, when you're making a big purchase, you have to do what? You have to do some kind of a down payment a guarantee to say, okay, I'm serious about this. You think about buying a house, you have to give some kind of a down payment, a car, even anything of significance. That, that might be the picture, but the other side to that same idea of a guarantee would be more of a relational picture as in someone that's getting married. When you're asking someone to marry you guys that are married, remember that, that special moment when they got down on one knee and they hand you the ring and they said, I promise that I'm going to marry you. And I promise this is just a, a gift, a little piece of what's to come. I'm going to give you part of it now, but more to come. And that's the same picture of what God is saying to us. You have this amazing inheritance, and I'm going to give you a little deposit now, such as myself moving in and setting up residence inside of you. Uh, that, just this little thing he's going to give us. And so, and so that's the, the gift. And what that's meant to do is to do a couple things. It provides security, authenticity, and ownership. And we'll end with the, those three ideas. The security was this idea, first off, that when you're, when you're making or you're trying to have a contract, you would take a seal. You've maybe seen some of the old school. Sometimes they do that with like the wedding invitations. They take like a, a wax seal and they put it on, on something so that if it was tampered with, if it was messed with, it would, it would throw off the whole thing. Have you guys seen this before? Or am I just making up stuff here? Uh, so sealed, the security there was to show that nothing had altered it, to show that this is firm, it is not moving anywhere, it can be trusted. So the Holy Spirit is intended to be the security to say, man, this is, this is locked in. This relationship, this, all the, this coming inheritance, it is sealed, signed, and delivered. It's as good as done. So it provides security. The second thing that it does, it also provides 
authenticity, that it's not a fake. It's, it's the real thing. I was in Ecuador a couple of weeks ago, and it was fun going to the local markets there. They don't have quite as good of rain on some of the, the fake items. It's kind of like Chinatown. Uh, but, but here, I, I was walking by, and I was like, huh, that looks like an authentic Abercrombie slash diesel sweatshirt there. You see, you, you see soon, soon as, as you see that, like right away, I was just like, Oh, well, which brand is it? Is it diesel in the bottom corner or is it Abercrombie? I don't know, but one thing you could clearly tell, definitely a fake, right? Definitely a fake. You're like, that, that is not made by Abercrombie and Fitch. That's, that's clearly not it. And a similar idea for those of us that have the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit authenticates. It shows that, listen, this is the real deal. And when someone, when you're around someone that has the Holy Spirit working and moving in their life, you're just like, man, that's undeniable. That, that, that's real. There's something to that person that I'm drawn to. There's something more at work at, in them that just doesn't make sense from a human perspective. We have in the church office, Stephanie had this commitment uh, this last year, and uh, she's stuck with it. I think she's in year two now, that if somebody calls to our church for any reason, before hanging up, she'll offer to pray for them, and uh, and we get tons of uh, we get tons of solicitation calls, all kinds of stuff. The FedEx guy calls or whatever, and uh, and they're getting prayed for if they call our office. And so Stephanie's committed to that over the, the years. We had this one particular call. It's now been about a month ago now from somebody they were selling something, and I don't even know necessarily what it was they were selling. But at the end of the call, she says to this, to this lady on the, other end of the, on the other end of the line, well, you know, we're, we're not interested in buying that, but wondering, is there anything we can pray for you about? The woman was like, no, I don't, I don't think so. And she's like, but, but thank you, and, and hangs up the call. So Stephanie just kind of went on with the, her, her business back into her, her day. Like two minutes later, she gets a call from this girl. She's got a really strong Indian accent. We later find out she's from a call center in India. She's, she, she goes, you know, I would love for you to pray for this, 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 and that. Like starts listing all of these things that she would love prayer for. And, and, and she, she ultimately, and this is the funny thing, you guys will love this. She then starts telling her coworkers about this crazy American you can call <laughs> that'll pray for you. This is, this is no lie. Twelve, the count is now 12 different workers from this call center that have called. She, we have a regular, ABF has a, another branch in India. They're going to celebrate 50 years in 50 years, but, uh, but, but, but here, here's the idea. Like, went, went, and she said to Stephanie, she's like, you know, I didn't believe in God, but there's something about you that makes me think he might be real. It's like, huh. It's like, isn't that exactly what we're talking about when we say someone that's sealed Someone that's indwelled, someone that's, that's given over the reins, that he's the one guiding the ship. He's the one that's ruling and reigning in their life. There's something about that that's contagious to the world around us. You can't get enough of it. Authenticity, last one here, ownership, ownership, proof of purchase. I don't know if there's anybody here that's a, a any Costco shoppers here, anybody uh, Anybody ever go into Costco with the intention of spending $30 and you spend $300? 
Anyway, anybody on that? I've just, I've just learned at Costco, whatever amount you plan to spend, just add a zero on the end, and you'll be a, a lot more in line with reality. But one of the things that I find annoying, maybe it's bad to say this, I find annoying is every time I leave Costco with my cart that has way more stuff than I meant to buy, I didn't need a multi-pack of Dove soap this big. But, um, but anyway, you're, you're heading out, and who do they have at the exit? Who do they have at the exit? They got this guy... With a, with, a, a, with a yellow marker, making sure I'm not robbing Costco. Uh, I don't know if it's my issues with authority, but I don't really like this guy. Like, who are you to question me? Do I look like a thief? You're profiling. You know, like all that goes through, <laughs> all this goes through your mind with this Costco guy. But here's the trick. Once you make it out of the store with that receipt, here, let me play this out for you guys. You can return anything to Costco. I mean, maybe this is bad to admit, but you could take, you could take strawberries that are like six months old and be like, these went bad. They're like, yeah, but they're six months old. Well, yeah, you got the receipt though right here. Proof of purchase goes a long way at Costco. Maybe this is a stretch on my illustration, but you get the idea of, of this same idea. When we're sealed in Jesus Christ, when we have this proof of purchase, all of a sudden you're like, man, I, I'm locked in. All of a sudden our circumstances, the weight and all the frustrations and difficulties of this life is just like, ah, it's all right because I got my, my proof of purchase. I got my proof of purchase. The, I, I don't have anxiety. I don't have wonder about the future. I, I have a hope. I have a purpose. I have an inheritance. I have a God that's in complete control reigning over every single circumstance I'm surrounded with. I would say that should lead to a grateful, thankful church. What do you guys think about that? And in fact, it might even move us to song. We'll invite up the worship team. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your goodness and faithfulness, not just here today, but collectively. You've been so good for so many years. It's evidence in some of the, the lives that were shared even this morning and stories of families that have been transformed, families that have been held together, families that have been impacted individuals, singles, married, just so many lives that are impacted because of your faithfulness in this little random church in Old Agora. We thank you for that. That your word says that it was predestined, it was planned before creation, that there would be gatherings like this all over the planet. I love to think that we could drive five miles any direction and find another church like this of people that are celebrating the exact same thing, that we have an awesome God. We have a Savior that's worth elevating, that's worth singing about, that's worth putting the spotlight on. We praise you because of that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. What an awesome song and an awesome truth. I was thinking about Stephanie, one of her conversations with this girl on the call center. She's like, man, there's something different about you. And Stephanie goes, you know what though? You can have it too. Like the, the offer is there. You can be a child. The only thing that separates me from you is I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. My hope is that no one would leave this morning without getting that relationship figured out. We'd love to talk with you following the service. The opportunity is every single moment of every single day to say, yes, I'm in. I embrace what Jesus Christ has done for me and the work he did on the cross. 
encourage you this afternoon to stick around, enjoy. We're, uh, if you guys don't eat a bunch of chicken, I don't even know what we're gonna do. So you gotta stick around, eat some chicken. We've got sitting areas inside. The rain has stopped, praise the Lord. Rain has stopped, some kid stuff for the kids. Make sure if your picture's in our church directory, we've got photos of you and frames in the back. If you don't have a picture in their directory, we have just a frame for you in the back. And, uh, and grab one of those, enjoy some fellowship, meet some new people you've never met before. God bless you. Thanks so much for coming.